0: The primary threat was RKG-3 grenades, like machine guns and AK-47s, that kind of thing.
1: Small arms, fire, RPG fire. Explosively formed penetrators.
0: Suicide bombs.
1: And then that's about the time that the third IED went off.
0: And that's when another grenade comes spinning over the side of the wall. And it's at that point the IED chain detonates.
1: There was enemy in the wire. There's all these Humvees on fire. It, it
0: was truly bullets flying from every angle that that you could see. I
1: open the door and look outside, and all I see is muzzle flashes.
0: There's a guy on top with a 240, and the rounds pass right past his head. At that point, our instincts kicked in. One one pilot on the controls. The other pilot was using his M4 to engage single man targets on the ground. You're shooting at everything.
1: it was a fight. Welcome to The Spear. I'm your host, Tim Heck. Today's guest, Colonel Matt Hardman, has had a long and extensive Army career. As a result, the episode we initially recorded was going to be one part, but given the nature of his deployments, we think it better suits two episodes. So this is the first of two episodes with Colonel Matt Hardman. Thanks again for listening to The Spear. Welcome to The Spear, the podcast about the combat experience brought to you by the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm your host, Tim Heck. And today I'm joined by Colonel Matthew Hardman, who's currently the commander of the operations group at Fort Polk. Matt, thanks for being here.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: So you're in a big position, a long Army career at this point, but how did it all start?
0: Um, so, you know, uh, nobody, I think, plans, or most people don't, I think, plan on uh, being in the Army as long as I've been in the Army now. And uh, kind of fun because I'm sitting in my old office when I taught here at West Point. Uh, but grew up in, uh, in Florida, grew up in a community where uh, all my neighbors you know, were either World War II, Korea, Vietnam veterans, uh, Navy town. Uh, my dad had served in Vietnam and um, education you know, was really important in my family and, you know, on my mom's side, both my, my uh, grandmother and grandfather had served in the military. And so, you know, I looked at ROTC scholarship pretty early, uh, sort of by happenstance, ended up at Davidson College uh, in North Carolina on our ROTC scholarship and was 100 uh, percent going to go to law school. And that's what I was going to do. And then, um, you know, after my first year, is like, well, maybe, maybe I'll, you know, do something else, and then, and then go to law school. Um, and it was kind of a gateway. You know, I had a start first class uh, and a and a major that were both, uh, you know, Ranger um, guys. One was infantry, one was FA. And then, you know, next thing you know, I'm going to be a branch detail guy. And then the next thing you know, I'm I'm branching infantry. And I thought I was going to do uh, four years. That's what I told myself, um, and it was really fortunate. you know, my first duty assignment and, and um, my uh, my battalion commander when I was a lieutenant was uh was general uh, Mick Nicholson, who I just wanted to grow up and be like him one day, um, you know just as a person and as a leader, and um, was fortunate um, really kind of some of the people I had around me uh, during that period, you know developmentally and um, and really uh, gained an appreciation. Uh, for, for leading and you know the opportunity that it afforded to make a difference in people's lives and uh, w- once I, once I did some personal maturing about you know what it meant to be a leader really kind of guided by some of these role models you know I was hooked and you know I kept telling myself I was going to get out. You know and and then uh, went on to company command and and that was a phenomenal experience a life-changing experience I mean having having lost uh, soldiers in, in Iraq in, in 2004 um, you know as company commander lost uh, a platoon leader uh, a staff sergeant and, and a sergeant uh, all in the same event and uh, you know the platoon leader Uh, Luke James, uh, you know, had a, had a six month old, uh, son and, um, that six month old son is finishing up AIT right now at at Fort Sam. And, um, you know, this, I think leadership changes you, um, and, and, mostly in good ways, I think. Uh, but for me, just this opportunity to be a part of people's lives and, um, you know, really kind of hooked me over time. I mean, this the ability kind of sense of purpose wise to be a part of something bigger than yourself, you know, that, that's what's kept me in the Army kind of all these years. And then ultimately uh, taught here uh, at the United States Military Academy. And, um, you know, I, I am probably in retrospect, some selfish reasons for, for wanting to come here. But that quickly, I think, changed. You know, I, I um, applied here very early to come teach here very early in company command, and obviously grew from the experience of company command. Grew in the experience of grad school, um, but teaching here really had a profound impact on me as well. I mean, this watching really people carve out a better life for themselves to realize their potential, and in particular, I think I was, you know, the, the prior service cadets that came here. Um, you know, some of them had been combat veterans. Um, it was just awesome to see. It was awesome to see people um, that maybe hadn't had some of the opportunities that I'd had in life really claw and fight to make the most of the opportunities uh, that they'd been given. Served some time up at uh, 10th Mountain Division and then uh, commanded up in Alaska, um, spent some time at the National Training Center, uh, and then um, some deployments here and there. Um, commanded uh, 3rd Brigade 10th Mountain at Fort Polk. And then uh, now is the commander of operations group at JRTC.
1: You didn't allude to kind of the, the exact timeline, but you came in the Army pre-9-11. I did. When 9-11 happened, you'd already had platoon leader time. You're a company commander in Iraq in 2004. Was that your first deployment?
0: No, my first deployment was actually 2003, uh, Afghanistan. And, um, you know, in a million years, if, if you'd have asked me if I thought we'd be in Afghanistan in 2021, uh, I'd have said No. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, came in the Army before 9-11, you know, what's old is new, large scale combat operations, um, did a, did a national training center rotation as a lieutenant and did a, uh, another one right after 9-11 ironically uh, enough, uh, with the 82nd down there. And those two deployments as a company commander, I took command in Afghanistan. And, you know, very, very different time, different operating environment Uh, in 2003 there. You know, most of what we were doing was, at that point, company and battalion air assaults really more akin to what I'd experienced from a training perspective wise prior to 9/11 in terms of you know uh, operations and then and then Iraq was was really really different in in 2004 I mean, out of at a, a Ford operating base in Babel Province, uh, with a co-located with an MP company, uh, working for an MP battalion that was about 70 miles away. That was working for an MP uh, brigade. Ironically enough, uh, so pretty convoluted task organization and, and relationship. And um, you know, the, the guy that was uh, commanding that company, the out of the 119th MP, uh, John Meyer, uh, recently retired, but he commanded a 16th MP brigade um so we were commanding at the same time in 18th airborne corps which is pretty cool just kind of the two of us with about 800 square kilometers trying to figure it out and um you know battalion was up in baghdad uh, leaned in and helped us a lot and my battalion commander and, and command star major were great but you know it was a, a lot of life happening in uh you know in babel province uh, during that time period and I'll, and and really a lot to to learn as a you know as a company commander and i think some of you know the maturing and my appreciation for discipline. You know, when nobody is imposing it on you, and you have to impose it on yourself and on your own formation. That that can be a challenge for for young officers. Um, but it's it's critical if you if you want to keep a, a group of young people doing really dangerous things, um, moving in the right direction together.
1: As you were preparing to take the company to Iraq, yeah. What were the thoughts going through your head? What were the guidance that you gave to your leaders? Uh, what did you say to the soldiers on Friday evening at the end of formation
0: so we were uh, we'd come back from Afghanistan um, about 90 days before and we were doing uh, a training cycle and everybody was telling us that we were we weren't going to deploy for at least a year and you uh, know I had a platoon sergeant that had been in position for for a while and uh, kind of one day in my office we we're like we were watching the news, and we're like this is gonna happen at some point. And so, uh, we were actually out training, and we were doing platoon six lanes uh, with an IED focus, which was IEDs were still very novel at this point. And I got called uh, back, um, and so I, I show up at the battalion headquarters and told, hey, you, you need to go to the what's called the the eighty second M plus two room notification plus two room. So I go up there, and it's all the company commanders. From the brigade, or there, you know, brigade commander tells us, "Hey, we're on an X-hour sequence. Uh, put your put your companies on leave for about a week, and then uh, we send an advon out, and we're out the door." And uh, so, you know, about about ten days worth of kind of prep. You know, but the eighty seconds, like that's the life uh, you, you kind of live down there. And um, so, went out the door and uh, you know deployed in in early January uh, to to Iraq. Um, really quick turn. What I, you know, that experience. I mean, and, and I lost soldiers very quickly. I mean, within the first week of being deployed. Um, you know, you obviously have regrets, and and you feel a tremendous amount of responsibility um But what what I appreciated was we were making the most of every bit of time we had, and um, that stuck. That is stuck with me of one of, you know this idea of you're responsible for people's lives. You're not ever going to get it all right. There's no way. Um, what you don't want to be doing though is is regret that you're not putting in the work. And uh, we were putting in the work. And um, You know, I think the company had a lot of confidence uh, in each other. You know, one of my favorite quotes uh, on small unit leadership is there's a white paper that Command Sergeant Major Hall, the former uh, sergeant major for the Ranger Regiment, wrote in the 90s. And and I'm paraphrasing the quote, but the fundamental determinant of success or failure in combat is how a soldier feels about his or her peers and immediate leader. And that is what's going to determine whether or not units are going to thrive. in in combat. And, um, you know, I definitely, um, that unit, you know, I took over, from the guy I took command from was phenomenal a year and a half before. I mean, culturally the company was in a good place, good habits. And I think there was this real sense of people trusted one another and they trusted their immediate leaders. And that's ultimately, you know, when things get hard, that's what people are gonna fall back to. And was really grateful that that you know Mike, the guy, I took command from. He went and went on to lead in a couple of special mission units for a while. You know, made a real difference. And um, you know, and that that has stuck with me. Of you know, as well, as command is not about you. It's about what you, the legacy you leave behind, and ideally, it's about a culture that you leave behind that endures past you, forever grateful uh, to Mike. Uh, kind of. For the approach that he took you know he took an approach that was about long-term results for the good of the organization and the people that served in it and it served us well on the afghanistan and then the iraq deployment
1: before we get into babel yeah. and the events there you have this basically 10-day notice how did you break the news to your family how did the other soldiers do that you know kind of what what stayed on the home front
0: um, yeah i mean it was uh Hard, hard for a lot of the families, you know, the soldiers, the uh, paratroopers, you know, as, as young people are often to be, most of them were pretty excited. We'd also had a, a pretty high turnover um, from the Afghanistan deployment. So we probably had about 20 new soldiers that are paratroopers that came in. I do remember a young machine gunner uh, that had been on the deployment, you know, knocked on my door, asked to talk to me, came in, shut the door and, uh, and broke down on, on my couch you know, and it's like, hey, sir, sure, you know, my marriage is in a hard spot. Uh, you, you can't put me on leave. Like, if you put me on leave, I'm going to go AWOL. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I told him, I'm like, well, I know you're not going to go AWOL because I know you wouldn't do that to the people on your left and right. You wouldn't do that to your platoon. And um, 10 days, you know, we come back from a week of leave, and he's got tears in his eyes. He's like, there's no way I could, like, leave these guys. And, um, you know, that commitment, uh, to others, you know, has stuck with me. And, and it is, you know, that experience, I, I won't say his name cause I'm, I'm still in touch with him. I'm, and, you know, unfortunately his marriage didn't survive, but I a hundred percent know that he placed others first and, um, you know, powerful and that, you know, I, it stuck with me, never underestimate the kids. Um, you know, the, the young people too often, you know, we, uh, I think we badmouth, you know, younger generations, you know, and George Washington was probably talking about, you know, these privates today in 1775. And, you know, I just think it's never underestimated because they, they always, they always end up surprising us, you know, and, and that, that paratrooper certainly did that. And it, and it was hard. It was a, it was a hard deployment. It was hard the way we went out the door. I mean, had a great battalion commander, great Battalion Command Sergeant Major, um, you know, they really helped, I think, hold the team together in and, and the home front. And, you know, my wife, um, you know, she's uh, an accomplished um, professional herself, but, you know, she ran the family readiness group, I mean, very, very businesslike. I mean, it was all about transparency information to families, um, very user-focused approach versus um you know frankly some kind of um you know social club and i think that made a huge difference and and you know the guy that commanded before me mike you know he'd kind of set the conditions for that and which made it um you know relatively easy to do a lot of it gets back to the culture you know particularly of of the 82nd and, and the rapid deployment units back then of like here's this expectation you know anywhere in the world wheels up in 18 hours and um you know and and that's coming back in parts of the army but you know it's it's interesting i had somebody i had a company commander ask me about this you know what do we do if we don't have a deployment on the horizon i'm like well we train really hard just in case there becomes one on the horizon and i think that that's a generationally that's got to be a mindset shift of like it's always lurking for us hardship um, danger is always out there in our profession and we just got to be as ready as we can be for it. And that's, you know, it's running a marathon, right? You know, you, you, you never skip the water station or the M&M station on a marathon because you never know, you know, what you're going to feel like at mile 20. I think that's got to be the mindset. of like, you're just constantly trying to maintain as high a readiness as possible without redlining the people and organization that you're in. And, and that takes... You know, I think a lot of maturity to figure that balance out.
1: What was going on in Babel in
0: 2004 when you showed up? Um, so, uh, you know, we, we replaced a unit that was uh, deemed not ready to deploy. Hence, we you know the the Global Response Force, uh, or at the time the DRB, the Division Ready Brigade, out uh, of the 82nd. The truth is, nobody ever gave, you know nobody ever gave us a mission. I mean, I remember sitting down at a table with my battalion commander and we wrote out my mission statement and intent and concept together, he and I. And I, mean, I give him a lot of credit. I mean, it was the the way he kind of did it. And uh, very little intel handover. You know, this is before ubiquitous use of ISR and signals intelligence and some of these other things. And, um, you know, really um, had to kind of fight for information initially. You know, we we were really securing a platform that allowed us to help uh, keep the ground locks open um, and, and it's really resulted in, in being a you know a way station for other units and a place for them to evacuate casualties to but also uh, conducting rigorous patrolling uh, uh, to address the ID threat on MSR Tampa at the time.
1: Tampa winds up in a lot of these stories right yeah. it was the, the major artery
0: through the country right Best German highway, not in Germany. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the shift from Afghanistan yeah. to Iraq, how did your subordinate leaders, and how did you take that to, you know, now you're on this German highway?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I, you know, one, like, we went from, I mean, I, I think I did a dozen air assaults in the summer of uh, 2003, you know, most of them anywhere from, from four to seven days. You know, sometimes operating uh, with nothing but taxat radio and uh, time windows, you know, out on the border, all dismounted, usually company together, um, maybe operating as platoons, but in a, in a company AO, um, to now, you know, had a task org of uh, 217 paratroopers mortar platoon, scout platoon, heavy weapons platoon, two rifle platoons, some some uh logistics and medical stuff. You know, and the threat was different, but there wasn't a good read in uh in January 2004 what the threat was. I mean, and nobody could really kind of tell me. You know, and the IED threat certainly wasn't well understood at that point. And um you know, so kind of focused on fundamentals. I mean, execute patrolling, you know. Um, you know it was a big thing. I'm at. I sat down, and did a, a graphic terrain overlay of my area of operations to understand the terrain. Um, you know, because there wasn't one before we got there. And um, you know, the the I mean, I think the the other big one. So you know, this is a- after after we have soldiers killed. The, probably the best after action review I've ever sat in. I mean, the platoon sergeant for that platoon facilitated it, and it, there was a ton of candor about the things that had. You know not been done to standard or done right or that we wish now in retrospect we do differently and in really mature conversation from a bunch of privates and e4s um you know nobody talking about revenge or payback just very professional just very very mission focused and that was um it was good to be a part of um and i knew we were going to be okay after i listened to that you know, and it, and it just, it took us a couple of weeks to get kind of stuck in. Uh, but once we got stuck in, we we really got off the roads a lot more. I mean, we'd use vehicles to, to insert us, dismount, and maneuver. Heavy reliance on sniper teams uh, in, in area ambushes. Different for that time period from a lot of people's experience. I had a mortar platoon attached. I shot a ton of mortar ammo. Uh, in in two thousand four, and, and pretty effectively, and it, you know, it, it really was just small unit patrolling and being very aggressive with small unit patrolling. Um, the challenge was is, is outrunning uh, fires and outrunning communications, just based on those sheer size, the amount of space that we had. And I didn't have a very good understanding of the of the, the physical terrain or the intel picture. I mean, really had to fight for intel to understand uh, kind of what was happening and. You know, we were right on a, a Sunni-Shia seam, and then in retrospect, that whole area was really a support zone for, um, for AQI. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I learned a lot. Um, you know, learned, reinforced for me, you know, the fundamentals like matter. Like over and over again, I, you know, my, my experience from really from company command through brigade command, and we'll probably talk about some of that, is just fundamentals matter. You know, there's no hack, there's no gimmick, there's no shortcut. You know, rehearsals, PCIs, um, these are the things that make the difference over and over again. And, and, they're, and they're fundamental for a reason, because they work for a really long time. They, they stack the deck in your favor, uh, given all the things that can go wrong. And, um, but, you know, 2004 in Iraq was just a surreal experience. You know, I ended up later in my career working on uh, the Chief of Staff of the Army's Iraq War History Project report. And, um, you know, it's just sort of, it's not, it's not surprising I didn't know what was going on at the, uh, you know, at the, at the company level. Because, frankly, a bunch of people at the brigade and division level and above were trying to figure out what was going on and make sense of the operational environment. The events that led up to those deaths, was it
1: a routine day and this was out of the blue or had you been seeing increasing content?
0: No. So, I mean, we're brand new. Uh, into the air of operations, had probably conducted three patrols at this point. Um, New platoon leader, probably the more experienced platoon uh, that I had at that point. Um, And, you know, had done, uh, I'd issued a company order, platoon had issued its order, had done PCIs, PCCs, and had done rehearsals. Um, And, um, you know, really this was about conducting reconnaissance to understand the environment and frankly to kind of shake out the platoon and um, you know mounted operations which is a light infantry unit so you know we had AT section with um, part of the platoon and they're all mounted Um, and uh, you know bottom line is one of the gunners saw something in the southbound lane they go up they turn around they didn't initially report it because they didn't know what it was they get out they they actually stop right on top of it not short of it like they thought because they had to go up about a kilometer and come back down and you know as they're as they're realizing what happened that they're like right on top of this thing you know there's this sort of uh probably minute or two of like disbelief that no kidding this is an ID and no kidding this is happening and uh you know the platoon leader um essentially last words were like hey guys this is a bad idea back up and they start backing up and it went off um and it killed um killed Luke Buddy and Corey instantly um and then wounded three uh two pretty severely a staff sergeant and a sergeant um you know and and uh you know, involved, like not what we'd rehearsed, you know, actions uh, on, uh, you know, React ID. But, you know, part of that is like, okay, you know, repetition is what you'll fall back to. And, you know, I think there was probably a little bit of um, false comfort. I mean, this sounds crazy from 2022, but, you know, there's no, there was no command wire, you know, um, now we had briefed that there were starting to be anti-handling devices and radio controlled IDs, but but for folks that had come from Afghanistan, like everything in Afghanistan, in 2003 is command wire, um, you know. So just that sort of registration of what's happening, I don't, yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm not the, I wasn't there on the ground when it happened, um, but in retrospect, I mean, I think that's what it was. I think there was this sort of, huh, what are we? What, is that really what I think it is? and then um you know and then they're backing up and this thing goes off and and kills um kills three of them instantly and um you know the squad leader on the ground um senior nco on the ground uh did a phenomenal job you know evacuating everybody uh clear you know didn't know if there were more ieds didn't know if this would be an overwatch clears the kill zone um uh assesses the 3k rk um, and then evacuates the wounded and get the radio call and you know transitions are hard first radio call super confusing uh ends up um at section that's attached was using the wrong call sign they'd reverted back to their parent unit call sign that's what people do under high stress and um took about a minute and then it it instantly clicked for me what had happened i'd heard the explosion but didn't know that you know we had a unit that was in contact um and um as we're getting ready to go out the gate and this is all within about 10 minutes as we're getting ready to go out the gate with the quick reaction force um the staff sergeant comes driving in uh with the the two uh, or the three casualties um and uh you know, fortunately, uh, had a, a physician assistant, he's still on active duty, um, you know, had been adamant that we do a, a full force um, a mascal rehearsal. And so actually that afternoon, we'd done a full force rehearsal. Um, all the casualties treated, stabilized, and evacuated in under 30 minutes. Um, and, uh, and really a testament to, to that PA and the NCOs on the ground. And um, you know the uh, you know and, th- and then it's the aftermath and then you know I um, my my exo company exo and I um, you know just the two of us um, you know obviously both devastated we you know we we'd known um, everybody involved in this thing and um, had a good cry and then it's like okay get on with what you got to get on with and um and i compartmentalize that really for the rest of the deployment um and um you know no no idea how long we're really going to be on this deployment and so you know it's um really kind of one of those moments where i i knew that everybody was going to gauge off of me um and so just knew you know it's kind of one of those moments where okay, now it's time to earn your paycheck, um, and really had to, to work at a calm, even demeanor uh, in response to what we're doing. And, um, you know, it was really fortunate. I mean, I had a, I had a command sergeant major and a battalion commander, Jim Miller and, and Bruce Parker, were just really, really good leaders and good people and helped lead us through that, um, supported me, mentored me, and you um, and then you know got back on it and uh you know ended up uh doing 40 hours later doing going out and doing missions again and um and you know doing a raid um and uh you know it's kind of funny story you know so the the, the first op we did after this was was a raid and we had actually had gotten some some decent intel and it was um in retrospect it was probably an aq cell uh AQI cell um in a suny area and um you know we did did the rehearsals pcis we go um pull up put our blocking positions in dismount and it's about 200 meters from uh, the dismount point right at dawn uh, to the objective and um you know we would left about three in the morning and uh and anyway, we dismount and uh i'm with the same platoon and i'm with the assault element and i'm running uh for the house um and there's a, a dip in the ground but it's it's pretty dark and I'm like, Well, I think I can run through it and I'm you know, fully kitted up. I sunk about up to my name tape in a in a ditch full of poo <laughs> and uh the rest of the platoon is like I can almost like hear them giggling as they leapt over me and so i claw my way out and, and get up there and i get i'm in the front of the stack and i'm going to be the first one into the house and platoon star grabs me and pulls me out of the way and pushes a lead fire team in and uh ended up clearing the house fortunately you know no 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 shots fired but but found pretty significant uh weapons cache there and um going forward and then we get back, and I'd gotten dressed in the dark, and uh, my exo sees me, and he's, he says, uh, he's like, sir, it looks like you had a rough morning. I'm like, yeah, because I'm completely covered. And I, and he's like, yeah, sir, and I think you're wearing one of my boots. And I look down, and I'm wearing two left boots. And I had gotten dressed in the dark and, and, uh, and put one of his boots on, which was pretty hard to do, given that they were, like, size 7s, and I wear size 10s. But, yeah, it was... Um, you know, that was a tough deployment it was tough on the families i mean my wife uh was right there um you know right behind the notification team um that night and um you know in the last part of this and, and folks that have been doing this a long time i i think you know would would share this is like you know at 47 years old i mean that that was eight, 18 plus years ago at 47 years old like it, it doesn't go away it's gonna stay with you the rest of your life. Um, I'm fairly confident it'll be with me till the day I die. You know, and 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 that's obviously part of the you know the old people part of this is like you know the things that you do when you're a young person uh, are gonna stick with you. Um, and you're not gonna get them all right, um, but you you definitely got to figure out how you're gonna live with them. And um, and I've been fortunate. All, all three of the Gold Star families, we've been very connected with and stayed connected with. They're a part of my life. You know, and the people I serve with, um, that group has stayed connected, supported one another, picked each other up, uh, sustained one another through really kind of the hardships I think of, of carrying these things. Um, because you don't get over any of this stuff. You just figure out how to carry it. You know, and that that's one of the, the things I, I definitely got from that Experience that's helped me through the years.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Spear. That concludes our first part with Colonel Matt Hardman. Stay tuned because we'll be releasing the next episode shortly. You'll be able to find this and all episodes of The Spear on iTunes or any of your favorite podcast apps. Again, thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Spear.